Let's face it, hiring help is not easy these days. Let Zentegra Staffing help you find the right person for the right job. Head over to Zentegra.com forward slash Zentegra Staffing to find out more and let us staff your people needs. Welcome to another Citrix Session with your host, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton, your source for all things Citrix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I have with me Bill Sutton. Bill, how's it going? Going well, Andy. And I, uh, I, as always, should mention uh, you're the director of services. I have a a question for you. How many... um, Citrix and WVD, since we were just talking about that, uh, pilots are you managing today? Um, Citrix managed- and WVD is probably half a dozen, but uh, then we have we have a number that are just WVD and, of course, a number that are just Citrix. So so let's address that elephant real quickly. I mean, we we know there's a future in, in multi-session Windows 10 and Azure, uh, I believe, and I think you will too, but I believe that there's a, a big need for players like Citrix to continue to make that Azure story enterprise ready for many, many years to come. Even the ones who are doing that are straight up WVD, we see a, an element of additional technologies needed uh, somewhere along the way, don't we, in most cases? Absolutely. Policy management, um, uh, administrative capabilities that Citrix offers that aren't really in WVD, um, you know, as well as auto scale. There's a whole host of things that Citrix brings to the table that adds significant value to the WVD story. Well, and that ties right in. We were just talking to uh, Adi Trevetti, who is a uh, principal sales engineer at Citrix, who's going to be helping us with today's podcast, uh, where we're going to cover a practical approach to risk management. And we were just talking to Adi about his account base, uh, which is the biggest of the big accounts within Citrix. Um, And we were talking about, you know, the WVD, the the cloud story, and, and as it relates to Citrix. So, Adi, welcome to the call. Thanks for having me, Andy. You want to give the uh, the listeners just a little background on on your story and, and how you ended up at your current role at Citrix? Yeah, sure thing. So I joined Citrix in uh, 2011 and I took a quick detour in around 2014, uh, but then came back again. So my I've, I used to be a consultant at Citrix, then I became a networking SE uh, for several years. Uh, and then in my and then I also worked with our uh, consulting services division and positioning and selling consulting projects at enterprise customers. And most recently, for the past three years or so, I've been hyper focused on, uh, you know, uh, the, the generalist SE and the generalist SE role uh, on Citrix virtual apps and desktops, endpoint management, cognitive collaboration, and of course, networking remains my strong suite. So I stay pretty close to our ADC and SD-WAN projects as well. I always love it when people tell that story and they came from a, a consulting background, right? Because you, you turn the riches at some point. You, you've been in the trenches. You probably had some late nights here and there trying to help customers get stuff fixed before before employees showed up the next day. It's you know, just a lot of credibility to that. And I, you know, my own personal story is I, um, 
I did about uh, 15 years of consulting and, and admin work before I got into sales engineer, into a sales engineer role. And I thought that's how it worked. And then when I got there, I realized a lot of people I was there with didn't have that background. They just always been in sales engineering. And it, it really means a lot when you've, when you've done the actual consulting yourself uh, and you show up and you really can't help customers because you've, you've been there. Absolutely. You get to see all the mud under the boots. Yeah, but that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I know Bill has a similar background um, to actually doing projects. In fact, Bill, where you came from before you joined us, it's uh, even the sales engineers had to do a project a quarter or something just to keep the just to keep the the skills sharp, right? That's correct. Yeah, we were we were expected to do at least one project. Um, I wasn't really tied to a quarter, but you know, frequently, relatively frequently, to stay current. A lot of that was personal choice, so we kind of got the pick of the litter, so to speak, um, in terms of what we did. I did some Zen Mobile projects at the time. I did some Netscaler projects and a lot of uh, Zen Apps and Desktop at that time. Yeah, we just got off our management call a few minutes ago, and I highlighted that uh, I was really excited because some of our some of our engineers, our CTO even, is having to jump in and do a project, not necessarily because it's the way we set it up. It's just because necessity, uh, timing, and all that good stuff, and they're having to jump in and do a big WVD Citrix project, and um, yeah, I, I love the idea of that because it keeps everybody sharp and honestly creates some revenue out of those guys uh, directly, not to say they don't normally create it, but it, it shows that we can, across the company, you know, everybody can jump in when needed. That's right. Except for me. I'm joking, sort of. Or you jump in all the time, Andy. You know that. <laughs> I jump in, stir things up, and then jump out. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I jump in, stir things up, and then I jump out. Does that count as being productive? I don't know. Sure, sure. Create opportunities. That's a, that's a good thing. All right. So, so Addy, let's talk about this article. So, I think this is the kind of kickoff blog, right, for future blogs to come. But uh, I love how you started off, and that's talking about organizations that have either been attacked and know it or organizations that uh, have or will be attacked and don't know it. You want to you kick off and kind of go through the introduction here and cover, cover what you're trying to help us understand here? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, last year I had the privilege of being sent for training on uh, becoming a certified cloud security professional. So now for, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, CCSP is the latest credential from ISC2 and the Cloud Security and Alliance uh, has designed this to show employers that, uh, that you know, here you have what it takes to help keep the organization safe in the cloud, which is basically the C this, this certification is the cloud version of CISSP. Uh, for lack of a better analogy. Um, and I was exposed to risk management when I was going through that training. And it kind of rang a, b a bunch of bells in my head because uh, I didn't realize that Citrix already had been delivering solutions that helped with this development and continuous assessment of the risk management framework because typically we do run into security teams only when we have to convince them that, hey, this is this is still okay to do uh, when they're the naysayers more often than not. And what we don't realize is that the back end, the security and compliance team are constantly looking at newer solutions and uh, evaluating them against the, their current risk management framework. So I, I went into this blog series with the intention of talking to customers uh, at a broader scale to explain to them what Citrix solutions are, how they fit into organizations' risk management framework, and what are certain key consideration points that uh, need to be reevaluated when we are in this cloud-first world. 
right? So uh, anytime we walk into a customer, uh, they all, you know, we, we hear the executives say that we have a cloud first strategy, but does that, that does not necessarily translate uh, in, in form of security because they once again need to run their, uh, run this new solution uh, under the lens of their old risk management framework. So this blog series is an attempt to convince our readers uh, and, the organ and the security and compliance teams at our customers so they understand that there is a newer risk management framework they need to prepare the organization for. And by the way, Citrix still, still continues to fit into that newer risk management framework. I think that's really interesting, right? So you have the old Citrix and you have the new Citrix. The old Citrix still applies and the new Citrix still applies or applies. What I'm talking about there is, uh, you know, virtual app and desktop delivered as a, as a service or just delivered period over a remote protocol. And then you have workspace, which brings in all this other conversation. Um, and then I, in my head, I kind of equate that to the idea of, you know, in 1979, most of us with some skills could go work on a car, pretty much any car, uh, maybe even in the early eighties and mid 80s but certainly in the late 70s now I'm fairly mechanical and, and pride myself on being able to work on stuff I won't touch my car because I'm afraid I'm gonna mess it up worse it sounds like that's the same story right you have your 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 new way of looking at things it's so different even though it kind of at a glance looks the same uh, that it takes a whole different level of perspective to to be able to manage it and and, and secure it yeah, and I mean, it's also uh, recognizing that when it comes to security and compliance, a lot of the processes are quite regimented. Uh, and, you know, they don't evolve as quickly. They don't change as quickly. Um, and it's it, it's actually, you know, in, interesting that security framework adoption, uh, it, it, that, like there was a security framework adoption study that reported about 70% of all surveyed organizations see NIST's framework as the popular best practice for computer security, but the NIST's own framework had not been modified uh, up until very recently when they added the NIST cybersecurity framework that provides the policy framework of computer security guidance on how you know, private sector organizations in the U.S. can assess and continuously improve their ability to prevent, detect, and respond to cyber attacks. So the fact that there is a new cybersecurity framework, that tells you that this is a con continuous change, and this will continue to change as we move into this cloud world, right? So there is obviously, to, to your point, that old Citrix presented a certain set of values and advantages from a security perspective. Some of those advantages have been carried forward, but when how we're how can, customers are consuming Citrix in the cloud-first world, that's changed. So how does that? need to fit into this newer set of frameworks that they need to develop. Right. Okay. Bill, thoughts on that? Well, you know, the first thing that came to mind when, when, uh, when we were talking is, is we had a customer recently, this, this may or may not be relevant, doing a Citrix deployment in the cloud, um, and the design was put together by them, and uh, we reviewed it, and discovered that the client was putting all these workloads in the cloud, but hadn't even considered whether they needed a firewall at the edge between the internet and the, and the cloud. Um, and you know, that, that would be a, a presumptive core requirement of, of an on-premises world. So I was a little surprised that that was left out. And I think some customers perhaps get a false sense of security as it were that, uh, that some of the, the networking policy framework that exists within a cloud platform 
uh, you know, like network security groups and things like that provide the level of perfect protection they need, but they really don't. And I, I don't know that all customers really understand that. And, and we've run into that since then where, you know, customers are going into the cloud and aren't uh, really considering edge security like they would be if they were on-prem. Do you, do you see that as well? Absolutely, right? I mean, the cloud brings uh, the concept of a shared responsibility model uh, where, you know, the lines between the enterprise and the world outside are blurred. So, I mean, in legacy environments, we had a we had thick, bold lines around the IT perimeter. Right. Uh, where everything inside the organization, including data, hardware, and, and risk, belonged to the organization. Everything outside, well, that was someone else's problem. Now, they need, these lines need to get redefined in the concept, con- uh, context of cloud computing, uh, especially where there are different kind of shared responsibilities and risks, uh, depending on the model that the customers choose to consume, because... It could be IaaS, which is infrastructure as a service. It could be PaaS, that's platform as a service, or it could be SaaS, which is software as a service. Right. Uh, so, according to uh, the, the you know the Cloud Security Alliance and others working on identifying this, uh, identifying the risk management gaps that come with the adoption of cloud computing, it is very important for customers to keep that uh, keep this shared responsibility model in mind. Right. So that, that ties in the section I've highlighted here, which I'm just going to read for a second. It says, from a risk management standpoint, regardless of the type of cloud deployment model, there are two important aspects of cloud security that make it difficult to plug security gaps and demonstrate why legacy risk management frameworks need to be updated. The first one you have is the cloud uh, the customer, the cloud customer is always legally responsible, which, uh, as you just pointed out, right, there's some some responsibility on the cloud, but at the end of the day, it's up to you to secure what's going in and out of that cloud and what's hosted there. Uh, that most of the cloud providers are going to have legalese that prevents them from being uh, responsible. And, and I can guarantee you, all the big ones I know of are going to have a lot more lawyers than any of us have for to be able to to push back on that. And then the other is uh, risk can never be eliminated; uh, it can only be avoided, transferred, mitigated, uh, and accepted. And I, I love that because. Back in the days, you made the joke where, hey, if you want to secure it, then just unplug it from the internet. Well, now you can't do that because it is on the internet. Uh, so the, 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 the joke of the past doesn't even apply here. It's just a matter of what you do to try to mitigate it, knowing that it can't be eliminated. Yeah, I mean, whenever you are looking at risk, just by definition of uh, cybersecurity, your risk. Um, if you imagine a Venn diagram where you have uh, one circle that has threat, another circle that has vulnerability, and the third one is consequence. So where threat, vulnerability, and consequence intersect, that's risk. And, and this is important to look at from an, adversar- from an adversary's perspective. Um, because when you're, look- when you're thinking of risk, uh, here's what we're thinking of. We're, think- we're looking at how we have a threat, how we prioritize that threat based on knowing that there is a vulnerability, and based on that, how can we minimize the impact of the vulnerability being exposed? That's really risk management. Um, so given that, def- given that understanding of what's risk, you're never going to be 100% going to be able to eliminate vulnerability. You're never going to be able to 100% eliminate threat even because that's really out of the organization's control. And that's why you'll never be able to uh, deterministically, uh, you know, make sure that there is no consequence of a threat or a vulnerability to the organization. And that's why risk cannot be fully eliminated. 
So in the next section here, you're talking about some of the vendors and how they currently fill the gap. And then we're going to talk about how Citrix fills the gap. You want to talk about the, uh, the other vendors in the space or other technologies, vendors in the space directly, directly related to Citrix and, and beyond, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there are many technology vendors that have come in to fill in these gaps, right? Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the traditional vendors in the market, uh, they have all, including Citrix, by the way, uh, have updated solutions to support this cloud-based deployment model. Um, and, and that's great, right? Um, but I think what has been missing and what I've noticed from a, a completely, you know, security centric, uh, perspective, it's caused a layering of multiple security solutions that still is missing the missing the point when it comes to the, the uh, delivering of holistic solution to the end to the end customers. So, I mean, uh, I know you guys did a podcast with my colleague Brian Mann about VPN. I'm use I'm going to use that as an example. Um, well, we VPN is, w comes into play for remote access. Uh, well, how do you make sure that? Nothing comes from the internet into your organization if uh, you're using the same device, company owned or uh, uh, organization owned or, comp uh, or, or personal owned uh, device and connect uh, into the enterprise network using a VPN tunnel. How do you protect threats from the internet coming inside the corporate network via, the, via that VPN tunnel? Well, you can always put an endpoint protection software on it. You can put antivirus scans on them. You can make sure that the, that the hard drive is, is encrypted. I mean, those are still ways to reduce the risks associated with VPN, but we're forgetting the fact that now you're creating endpoint management policies on a separate solution. You're creating antivirus uh, can, you know, uh, policies on a different solution. You have hard, uh, you have hard, uh, your hardware restrictions like hard drive encryption being managed by a separate group. And then VPN management is done by a completely different group altogether within the organization. What this does is it creates complexity and complexity is almost synonymous to risk. And more, more importantly, it also create this decentralized mesh of security policies in the organization that still does not protect the remote access holistically because you're, it's not like by putting all these checks uh, at, at each and every different, different layer, you're still not 100% protected. Uh, your, your corporate network is not still 100% protected from any outstanding threat out there. Right, so that's what I'm calling out. That you can look at point solutions, you can look at many different types of technologies to strengthen your security posture and reduce that risk. But when you're taking that approach where you're layering technologies over technologies, you're also creating an added risk because of no interconnectedness between these technologies or these solutions. Right, and even even probably in addition to that, and just as important is now all of a sudden you're making assumptions that because you did something over here, you're all good, but you didn't look at it holistically. And, and maybe your, your CIO is coming to one group and asking for evidence that they're doing things correctly, but he doesn't, he doesn't look at the entire picture, therefore leaves lots of vulnerabilities that didn't even know that he should be looking for. Yeah. And I'd say right. parallel to that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And when you detect that, uh, like a, in, in this same example, right? If you, if you detect that the antivirus definition is not updated, or if uh, you know on, on the the device is found jailbroken, then uh, you, what's your response to that? And is that 
is that automated or is that, does that require you to broker that communication with the team that manages VPN? And, you know, by the way, there's, there's, even after all that, can you 100% uh, – I mean, what's your response here? Are you going to 100% block VPN? Which means that are you going to are you going to basically you know uh, uh, disallow any remote access because you find vulnerabilities? Because guess what, the whole purpose of having VPN is to make sure your employees are productive. Right. But if you're finding that you find some, if you're, if you're finding that there's a vulnerability, if the answer, if the response to that is blocking VPN, well, that's not a very good response because now you are kind of choosing between security and productivity at that point. Which that defeats the whole purpose, right? Right. So here's a here's a quick example. Right? We have plenty of examples to look at. It, it's it's if you use VPN as your logic, that means in order to go to every website out there securely, you would have to create a VPN to that website and then go to the the web page. Which obviously that's not how it works, right? There's there's this concept of uh, micro VPN. There's a concept of you know SSL uh, TLS encrypted connections. Um, it's, we have the model out there. It, it, it just takes some challenging of organizations to to get them to see that there's a better way to do it than you know the VPN. Which the first time I touched a VPN was 1997, my first real corporate job, and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And now I realize all the the problems that that brings into the mix uh, then and now. Hey, Bill, you had a comment. Well, my comment was just going to be with all of the um, all of the point solutions um, that Adi was referring to. Uh, you know, one of the concerns that I have and, and would if I were certainly in corporate security is you've got different teams or perhaps even different individuals managing each one of these point solutions. What happens if one of those people is unavailable or or, or leaves the company? You, you've got an inherent risk there and not perhaps having sufficient uh, backfill for that individual to be able to support that solution. So then you end up in that 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 spinning wheel, if you will, of where you've got a solution that's causing a problem, uh, perhaps exposing a security vulnerability or something. Uh, so that since you don't have somebody to help resolve that, what do you do? You, you block the VPN. So I think the, another factor here is the, the, the people costs or the support costs uh, of being able to manage all these point solutions and how much risk that in and of itself uh, conveys to the organization. There's a job I wouldn't want is being on the help desk call at these organizations, uh, on the help desk line at, at all these organizations that just basically, you know, flip the switch and turn on VPN at scale just because they wanted to make, get employees working from home in this time and these times. Yeah, right? what I happened? Definitely don't want to be on that. Uh, on, no, on that bas- basically what happened, you know, six weeks ago, right? In some companies. Yep. Yep, precisely. So guys, I know we're going to get into this deeper with the rest of this series uh, that uh, I think, Adi, I think it's already, they're already available, right? We just have to kind of position it within our podcast series, which by the way, we're going to be doing one with Kurt Romer at the same time. So it's going to be a a big dose of Citrix security over the next few weeks. Uh, But let's talk at a high level here around what you're going to cover from the Citrix perspective uh, in the next uh, couple of podcasts with us. Yeah, sure. So uh, as you know, right, if you're, if you spend any time with Citrix Cloud architecture diagrams on TechZone, you know you will know that Citrix Cloud is a PaaS offering, which means that this enables Citrix to take advantage of the core cloud computing features like scalability, high availability, multi-tenancy, resiliency, and so on. Um, in the case of Citrix Cloud, Citrix manages the operating systems, the development tools, the database tools, analytics associated with the control layer, and the management of the access tier is optional, right? So there are many ways of delivering Citrix virtual apps and desktops, endpoint management, 
access control service. But the fact that we can aggregate the delivery of those services using Citrix Cloud, uh, that first of all leads to simplification of security. It, led, it leads to standardization of how we define uh, security policies uh, for an organization. Uh, in the next blogs, I'm uh, hoping to cover, or I guess I have covered um, various different strategies for risk, uh, risk management. Um, the four key concepts of risk management are risk avoidance, risk transference, risk mitigation, risk acceptance. So uh, I'll be going into the details of you know, what each of those mean. Um, at a higher level, right, risk avoidance is probably the, the, the best uh, of, of the four, I guess, because it has to happen before everything else. And it starts with uh, business impact analysis, where you do asset inventory, and, you know, there's, there's, that's a four-step process. So I'll go into the details of those. Um, risk avoidance is uh, the most important because, you know, like I said, it starts there, and it helps, uh, it helps make sure that you are identifying what's, what, uh, identifying all the areas of vulnerability uh, to understand what is the threat exposure. The second element of, the, of risk management uh, is around risk transference. So that's when an organization chooses to pay someone else or move to a cloud-based service to accept risk and is often applied to protect from low probability and high impact events. So think of risk transference as, as an insurance of sorts. The third is risk mitigation. That's around like I said, uh, after you understand that what risk can be avoided, the next step is here's the unavoidable risk. How can we make sure that we, we mitigate risks wherever possible? We attenuate the likelihood that risk would have a negative impact to an organization. And then the fourth point is around risk acceptance. So. We understand that you know we have avoided risk wherever possible. We have transferred risk using insurance policies, uh, using you know moving to work uh, to a cloud-based model, reduced the, uh, the attack surface by going towards uh, risk attenuation, and then finally we accept that there is still is some additional residue risk. Um, however, you need to continuously understand that security is going to be a moving target and that we can minimize that residual risk by continuously reassessing the risk exposure and continuously making sure that there is a new risk. Uh, we're ready to evolve in order to come up with a newer target profile to reduce the amount of residue risk. So that in a nutshell is what we'll be discussing in the next four blogs. I can say as a guy who never completed his uh, CCISP, CIS, CISSP, right? Is that, as a guy who never completed his security certification, even though he had great intentions of doing so, I'm excited just from the high level, the topics themselves, and then to hear you discuss how Citrix is approaching each of those is, of course, very, um, very impactful for what I do on a daily basis. So I'm excited about that. Bill, any thoughts? No, I would agree. Uh, definitely relevant to today's conversations around security, particularly as we see, or as we have seen a lot more work from home. Um, and I think we're going to see even more of that going forward. I just had to go Google it. C I S. You had it right. You had it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, as it was coming out of my mouth, I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> back it up. All right. So, Adi, great to have you on. We're looking forward to those uh, those uh, those blogs, which I know are already out there, and we're looking forward to covering those with you. And 
if people want to read ahead, they certainly can. Um, so we'll have you on in the next uh, week or two, maybe Bill, maybe we'll double down and have a couple more podcasts per week to get through yeah. uh, Adi as well as Kurt. Uh, Adi, any uh, additional comments before we, we wrap this one up? No, I look, I'm looking forward to engaging with you more on these topics. Uh, I, I, I look at Kurt as one of our, uh, our you know, best champions of Citrix security, uh, and he's a mentor to a lot of us who love and love to be in this world of security. And you know, uh, he, he, I, I'm pretty. I'm also looking forward to Kurt's podcast. Uh, honestly, he has also published a few different blogs on uh, on the topics, uh, especially in these times on how you can be- best manage mm-hmm. uh, security in the times of quarantine. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to hearing uh, his podcast as well. Yeah, I was just chatting with him while we were going through this. We're going to we're going to do that uh, on the 18th. I think it's his first one. And we're actually going to open it up to an audience to try to get people to join the chat and uh, hope to add more value to it as well. I'll be letting some of our some people know uh, if you're interested, maybe reach out to me on LinkedIn or something uh, if you want to be part of that audience. Uh, but yeah, Kurt, um, so I'm, I'm dealing with a bunch of um, companies now to add layers of security uh, of a security practice into Zintegra. And I basically just point people to Kurt's blogs first mm-hmm. and say, you know, go read some of these and then you'll be prepared to talk to me about what it means for a Citrix or an EUC practice to, um, to have security beyond, you know, the network security, which is, what most people I talk to now around socks and CISOs, that's kind of where their mind's at. And to me, that, that, that's a good story, but it's not a holistic story. Uh, certainly not for our, our customers. So no Bill, matter how short a conversation, I've always walked away from a conversation with Kurt with, uh, after learning something new. So uh, he's always a great resource. And, it's, and it starts with thinking differently when you go into those conversations, right? It, it doesn't, uh, you, you, can't, you can't think the, you can't think as a network security architect going into that. If you do, you got to be willing to step back and be willing to think differently. All right, Bill, anything else before we let you go? Uh, no, I'm good. Thanks, Andy. All right. Hey, guys, well, thanks for being part of this. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and I will work today and by the end of the day, getting these scheduled over the next few weeks. Uh, to make sure we're getting it done quicker than our normal once a week cadence. But guys, I appreciate you joining and hopefully people got a lot out of this and are excited about the ones to come. Thanks, Adi. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton. A special thanks to our guests, podcast produced by Pete Downing. Head over to Zentegra.com forward slash podcast to listen to all podcasts in this series.